G'day mate, Porty here. Hey, have you heard about this scary new thing called America First that the, the kids are all into? Like this, have you heard of someone named Nick Fuentes and, and a personality named Baked Alaska and, and some bloke named Beardson and, and a, a 24-year-old woman named Brittany Venti? Well, apparently the kids are all, are all into these e-personalities. And there's this new BBC series by Louis Thoreau. Uh, BBC Louis Thoreau's Forbidden America. And it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Terrifying meeting with the new far right. In, in Forbidden America, Louis Thoreau eviscerates the far right. And Louis Theroux's Forbidden America review, a sinister warning about the far right. And according to The Independent, Forbidden America Review, a depressing, eye-opening, I assume it goes on to say, uh, view into the far right. Have you guys heard about the far right and, and what they're doing with the kids? I mean, they're taking all these vulnerable young men and they're brainwashing them into Nazism. So I watched it. I think I watched it during the, the halftime show of the Super Bowl. And... A plague on all their houses. So I, I didn't think anybody came across very well. All right. So Louis Theroux didn't come across very well to me because he was going on and on about how uh, Nick Fuentes and, and Baked Alaska and Beardson, they're all filled with uh, racism and sexism and homophobia and anti-Semitism. Is it just me? But... You know, just making these kind of accusations, I, I just don't find it uh, terribly compelling. Like just calling out names. So uh, let, let's say you believe that there's something, you know, there's something horrible going on with racism and sexism and, and homophobia and anti-Semitism. Well, don't, don't you realize that words get done to death? So the more you use the same old words, people just start to tune out. Right, so I I believe in God. I believe in religion. But when I just hear the same old catchphrases of religion, I start to tune out. So even if you believe in the sinister threat from racism and sexism and homophobia that uh, these these blokes are embodying, if if you want to be effective about it, you need to use some new terms. So don't just say it's racist. Talk say what exactly they said. Right, just just quote people. Let let's get let's get visceral. Let, let's get real. Let's stop talking like sociology professors. So I, I didn't find it particularly compelling uh, entertainment. I didn't find it uh, scary or sinister. I didn't think uh, Louis Theroux eviscerated the far right. But even though I didn't care for all Louis Theroux's you know use of buzzwords and and how he would label you know other people's arguments as dishonest and, and false, but that doesn't feel any need to provide evidence for why their arguments are dishonest false. And yet, I'm afraid Louis Theroux, out of everyone, comes across the best. I was not impressed by Louis Theroux in this documentary series. He just kind of stands back with a scowl and a very concerned look on his face all through this program and just like feeds out the, the buzzwords of what you're supposed to say if you've got a prestigious position in America, England and you're working for the BBC, you just throw out racism, sexism, aren't you just a bunch of Nazis, right? But still, 
to me, he came across the best of any of them, and so I don't think anyone comes across very well. I think to me, Beerson came across the worst, and he talked about you know, he was going to anally rape Brittany Venti. God forbid, God forbid. Said you know horrible, horrible things about Brittany Venti, and then he gets so triggered. All right, so Beerson is this troll, but he seems to get incredibly triggered. And Louis Theroux asks him why he's throwing up uh, Heil Hitler salutes at America First. Isn't the whole point of America First is that we've got better optics and we're not a bunch of Nazis? And then uh, Bidson, Nick Fuentes' uh, friend and supporter, comes along and throws up some uh, uh, Heil Hitler salutes. Yeah, it seems reasonable that Louis Theroux would ask him about that, but uh, I think Louis Theroux made a mistake in asking him about it too soon. Like, have a two, three-hour conversation with a guy and then say, hey, what's going on? And show him, show him the video. But uh, for Louis Theroux, it was the whole point of why he wanted to talk to Beardson. Like, why did you throw up these, these Roman salutes? And then uh, Nick Fuentes is just Nick Fuentes. So uh, I, however you feel about Nick Fuentes, I don't think it's going to be affected by this show. So if you like Nick Fuentes, you're going to like him here. If you don't like him, you're not going to like him. And I think you're going to be shifted in any particular direction. And then Baked Alaska does not come across well. And luckily, I can't show you any of this new BBC show. I mean, you'd have to have a VPN to access the BBC in the United Kingdom. And then you'd have to click and say that you've got a BBC license. And, and then you can watch it. But I can't play any of it. I mean, the BBC is just cracking down on any copyright infringement of this new show. So I, I'm, it's not even worth it for me to, to play like a, a five-second excerpt because the, the, sh the stream will just get shut down immediately. So the BBC is being very strict, but let's, let's play a little here. Let's get hey, clashes with Louis Theroux. Yeah, nice How's it going? Good. We're live here, guys. Say hello, Louis Theroux. I, I told him we had a special guest today. But that was me? That was you, yeah. yeah. In real life moments. Yeah. So we're going to here in Clearwater, Florida. It's beautiful. Going to go talk to some people, do some IRL. And uh, I think we should stay for the sunset here, and then we'll uh, you know, switch locations. And cool. Are we all right up. to put a mic on yeah. you? Yeah, yeah okay, let's it. do that. Yeah. Yo, what's up? What's up, baby? How's it going? Hey, good. Are you in charge? No. no Where's Hulk Hogan? <laughs> Guess they recognize me out here. This bar is owned by Hulk Hogan. Is it? Yeah. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yes. So someone just donated this song. Whoa, disavow that copyright infringement. Two dollars. Good friend sent two dollars. Listen up, Mr. Louis Theroux. I need you to make our boy look real good on this documentary. No tricks, no clever editing. Are we clear? Yeah, come on. That's a demand. That was two dollars. So basically, he spent two dollars to say that. Yeah. So yeah, this is how, as IRL streamers, this is how we make our money. See the People crazy thing that the kids are into these yeah. days? Just like that. When I checked, you had about a... Pokemon sent two dollars. Hey, Louie. Big fan. My favorite documentary was when you exposed Jimmy Seville as a necrophiliac. Hundreds of children. Is that real? Oh, wait. That's not what happened. You whitewashed his reputation like the rest of the BBC when everyone knew. Okay. I, I, I don't really know. There's no filter. Yeah. 
I'm making money now. Yeah, thank you. Yo, Yoba, what's... So in the documentary, it talks about how bad he feels for helping Baked Alaska to make money. So Occidental Descent. It's got a tweet here. Look on uh, Louis Theroux's face when conflicted with a misogynistic, racist asshole like Nick Fuentes speaks a thousand words. Fuentes is a white nationalist grifter who would deny women the right to vote. Utter scum. So Louis Theroux is your your basic uh, center-left uh, journalist. He knows on what side of the bread, you know, the, the butter is and who's going to put it on there. So he's not going to say anything that uh, conflicts with, with norms among journalists. So generally speaking, journalists are not a bunch of fun-loving, hilarious people, right? They tend to be quite... Uh, quite stiff but whenever you stand for ethical standards you're going to be more stiff than people who don't stand for ethical standards so you want a profession to be more ethical then they're going to be more awkward and more ill at ease and more stiff so louis through correctly points out the continuity between the alt-right and america first this is from occidental descent the idea that nick Fuentes and the groypers are somehow optical is always hilarious if anything, they are far more extreme on women. These guys tend to be incels and are far more defined by bitterness. Well, I don't know who's more bitter, the America First crowd or the alt-right crowd, or who, who's got a high percentage of incels. The real divide here isn't racial. It is religious. Louis Theroux is a pious atheist. He has his own secular religion in which the sins of Christianity be replaced by isms and phobias. Nicked, baked, and Beerson are infidels spends all this time trying to expose them doing racism or sexism. They obviously don't share Louis Theroux's religion, spend most of their time mocking and transgressing on the sacred norms of his faith, completely oblivious to the fact that their souls will burn in hell for all eternity for enjoying in partaking in racial humor. Okay, I, I don't buy that. It's not just partaking in, in racial humor. These guys do have a real political and cultural agenda, and it's understandable that normal people would find much of it uh, horrifying. Bro, tell the world about our new relationship. Yes, it's now official. Laponius Meridius Maximus is my official uh, booker for this show. So if you don't like the guests or the lack thereof on this show, then then uh, blame, blame, you know who to blame. Blame Laponius. Right, here's Baked Alaska. What's up, He's saying that if I, by some, quirk, by some quirk of fate, if I was sent into this cell... Is that you? You'd see me, and presumably you would know that I was not cut out to fight. And you're seriously saying... He's so uncomfortable, I love it. Nigga might just stop you all. He might hang out on you. You might hang out. You might just get party. You might get by all bad. You're saying I wouldn't have to fight. Oh, you going... So I don't I can't blame Louis Theroux here for not being thrilled that he's helping, you know, Baked Alaska make donations. Uh so I got some some empathy here for Louis Theroux. And uh, Bake gets mad because he thinks Louis Theroux is coming to talk to him about his streaming career and not going to ask him hard questions about some of his behavior and more extreme statements. Did I watch Louis Theroux's documentary on Jimmy Seville? I did not. I don't think I've ever 
watched a Louis Theroux documentary. This, was, I think, was my first one. I'm going to raise now, the prices now. So we get less of these. Okay, okay, okay. You are. Okay, so Louis Theroux feels weird about making baked Alaska money. Well, everyone wants to blame their problems on somebody else. So, so Louis feels weird making baked Alaska money. But uh, is uh, is Louis donating the money that he's made from this documentary? What about the money Louis makes from baked Alaska? Right. Is is Louis donating tens of thousands of dollars to the Anti-Defamation League or its equivalents? So Louis Theroux does not feel bad that he is making money from Baked Alaska. He doesn't feel bad that he's making money from Jimmy Seville. doesn't feel bad that he's making money from Nick Fuentes. doesn't feel bad that he's making his money and his career from all sorts of unsavory personalities. But, but he feels bad that he might be making Baked Alaska money. So it's always easier to, you know, point at the problems with other people but uh louis how about all the money you've made off odious people right you've made your career off horrible people do you feel bad about that do you feel uncomfortable about that i'm not saying he should but if he's going to feel bad that his presence here is making baked some money you know what about some introspection louis exactly i'm making you money you're making me money what do you mean why what do I represent? Like the bad parts of the What do I represent? Give, give me one example. Yeah, give me one example. Like the right, like, uh. Give me one You're saying, f the last Give me one fing example. Like the alt right. I don't, I don't associate with the alt right. What the f are you talking about? No, they don't. No, they don't. They hate me. They hate me. You're retarded. No, they're not. They are. No, my fans are America first. Uh, Baked Alaska doesn't have the most developed political philosophy, so he can be reasonably uh, lumped with with the alt right, and he can be reasonably separated from them. But when someone doesn't have a, a specific ideology, Baked has more of a, a visceral impulse, right? He doesn't have this thought through political philosophy. So there are times when he's made common cause with the alt right, and then times when he he's condemned them. Yeah, I associate with America Nick Fuentes. America first is kind of yeah. like a dangerous mentality. Why not Yikes. every like? What? But what are you into? Who do you like? Bernie Sanders. I'm a big Bernie. Yikes! Yeah, you're you're a f libtard. So. Any relation to travel writer Paul Through? Yeah, this is Paul Through's son, Louis Through. So I met Louis, had lunch with Louis in, in year 2000, just when he was beginning to do these series of documentaries, and we had something in common. We both had famous fathers who were far more successful and famous than we would ever likely become no no you can't you know, I, no you can't no you can't okay, okay. no no you're in my broadcast get the f out of here well, yeah. I'm step sorry. back step back step back get the f out of here this is my production not yours you're a little bitch you're a little bitch i don't give a shit get the f okay so baked isn't uh, covering himself in glory here so let's have a look at uh, reddit Anyone watching the first episode of Louis Theroux's Forbidden America? Watching Theroux hang out with Baked Alaska, Nick Fuentes, Brittany Venti, Beardson, Beardley. Not only memes and trippy, makes me realize we're plugged into a very strange era of media consumption. Seeing an outsider's perspective, Louis Theroux's is quite opening. So, yeah, the, the, the most shocking part of the documentary was 
uh, Beardson talking about how he's going to Emily rape Brittany Venti. And you can't show, I can't play any of this show. BBC just strikes anything that, that does that. So, yeah, in this documentary, uh, Baked Alaska predicts a Nick Fuentes uh, presidency. Made me think about how many a nut job would have predicted a future Donald Trump presidency in, say, 1995. Uh, the whole white nationalist label thing in this documentary is literally the Patrick Wallet meme. Would you consider yourself a white nationalist? No, but you are heavily nationalistic, yes. And you believe white ethnic majority is one of the cause of your beliefs and you wish to curtail immigration to maintain America as an ethnically white nation. Yes, so that would mean you're a white nationalist. I'm not a white nationalist. Yeah, interesting documentary, but hard to watch. So Louis came across the same problem of them running away from their bad ideas when challenged via a cloak of irony. Yeah, so that's that's where you, you have to give props to the, the more serious intellectuals like uh, Greg Johnson or Richard Spencer. They don't try to cloak everything under irony. So the things they were saying were shockingly racist. Louis came across as a boomer. I think that's understandable given the 30-year age difference. They managed to use that to get some dunks on Louis, but their audience lapped up. The, only, the way Louis connects with such abhorrent people is impressive. He manages to walk the line of not giving into their beliefs or endorsing their behavior, and naturally encourages people to expose who they are on a personal level. These people are gross. The way they hide behind humor is so thinly veiled while they hold up swastikas. It's so transparent. Glad he did this documentary. Pretty good. Nothing new, nothing shocking. Just a good illustration of the fake irony cowardice of folks like Nick Fuentes reading from the Reddit thread here. I'm dying to see this. This should have been the Super Bowl halftime show. Well, this was my Super Bowl halftime show. I always wondered if America First is a serious meme, but seeing these weirdos put all that to rest. Anything that involves Baked Alaska is not a serious movement. Never heard of that bids and bids and uh, guy, but damn, what an LOL cow. When you stand out amongst Nick Fuentes and Brittany Ventney as a uniquely insecure and atrocious person, wow. I'm so disgusted and disturbed by these people, I can't wrap my head around it. All right, those are the comments on Reddit. Look out of here. I don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, my you friend. do. Are you going to hit well, me? You're, no, I'm not going to hit you. Going, well, then what's no. the point of yelling at me? Get out of here, Why dude. Because this is my... I don't want to ruin... I, I didn't mean to ruin whatever you I just wanted to watch because I'm a Louis Fake Thoreau fan. He can stand there, yeah. I just wanted to watch. I'm a fan of Louis Thoreau. Well, he came out here dissing me, so I'm throwing it back at him. He said, and it's my first amendment, right, to say, him, he's a Yes, you can stand there. You used to have a picture of baked of, of anonymous and three dollars. Louis set this up so the guy who asked you for the no, documentary to act no, like this happens no, all the time. No, that was the person next to me. That was no, everyone says that's yours. No, you're you're that making was, up fake that news. Was in the New York Times. No, it wasn't. It was. No, it wasn't. I read it on the way. Well, that's here. fake news. Okay. I I swear to God. I what? Yeah. How about fuck Joe Biden? How about summer? Yeah. Woo. Biden. And this guy, this guy supports things like that. She is he, a he's a liberal. Yeah, he's a liberal. He's a liberal. He's a liberal. Okay, lots of uh, reviews in the British papers. Louis Theroux's Forbidden America Review, a terrifying meeting with the new far right. Just uh, terrifying, guys. Wow. Wow, just wow. Rape threats and racism feature in this alarming encounter with white nationalists. Well, I, I think uh, Nick and Baked and Bidson come across as uh, not terribly effective. So 
I'm not sure how alarming uh, they, they are. Now, I don't think they are, you know, warping the minds of vulnerable young men, but for people who want to be antisocial and who want to act out and want to find a community, then this provides some support for those antisocial desires. And so it can strengthen, it can provide support for people to go down an antisocial path. So people could watch this and it could strengthen them a little bit in their predilections to say shocking, horrifying things that uh, may end up socially isolating them. And then as they isolate, they become more and more vulnerable to conspiracy theories because when you don't have normal human connections, you desperately need meaning. And then people, uh, when they have desperation, they don't tend to use good judgment. And so desperation for meaning often turns into embracing ludicrous, ridiculous uh, conspiracy theories, uh, fantasies, and that can help lead someone down a bad path. So I would, if someone went out and did something horrible and they'd watch Baked Alaska, I would not put 100% of the blame on Baked Alaska, but it's possible he might play like a 2% role in, say, encouraging people to go down an antisocial path. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give any of these characters, say, more than a, a 5% role at max all right i hope people responsible for their own actions watching nick fuentes or baked alaska or beards and beardley isn't going to cause people to go out and do horrible things but it may produce some strengthening of of an antisocial impulse it, it may help to bring to the fore things that are latent in people how is this judas guy a mod <laughs> i'm concerned foreigners just don't have that intrinsic american freedom mentality true not their fault not louis he couldn't understand it's amazing baked alaska doesn't get thrown in jail for terrorizing randos through made two documentaries on jimmy seville one on the man seville before the pedo stuff became public and the other one on how he louis through and everyone else didn't notice that jimmy was a creep Anything alarming about Baked Alaska is his appearance and childlike maturity. Baked is pretty mild with his ideas. He's dating a blue-eyed Jewish princess. Okay. Where is Baked Alaska's former friend Andy Worski? Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Okay, rape threats and racism feature this alarming encounter with white nationalists. These guys are not primarily ideologues. Right, these guys are not primarily thinkers. They're not primarily political philosophers. They're all primarily entertainers and shock jocks and uh, vloggers and e-personalities. So to label them as you know primarily upholding this or that ideological perspective seems to me silly. So Nick Fuentes, the 23-year-old founder of the America First Foundation, wants there to be no more immigration to the U.S. Yeah, well, he doesn't want women to hit on him either. Right. He may not want, you know, any more of a of this or that. This is just like a gamer kid's impulse. White men founded this country. And yeah, you can look from a certain perspective, yeah, they're all white men, or you could say, oh, they're all, they were English or they were Spanish, or that you could say they were Christian or they were Christian influenced. So you can always you can always take anything and just try to find a perspective that, that fulfills whatever it is that you want to say right now, whether it's race or religion or ideology. Genocide is being perpetrated against the white man. All right, that I think is a dramatic overstatement. But every group 
gets uh, thrilled by the idea of being a victim or gets energy from the status of, of being a victim. Nick Fuentes thinks women should stay at home. If you watch the documentary, it wasn't some serious thought through position. It was more like a, a tossed off uh, opinion. Like Fuentes hasn't published any books uh, of which I'm aware, right? This is not a deep political philosopher. Women are being convinced, says Fuentes, it's dignified to abandon your children out of the womb, go to work in an office, go to work for a corporation. How sick is that? Well, it may be, it may be the best reaction to a difficult circumstance, right? A difficult circumstance, maybe not all women are cut out to raise kids. And some families in in the United States uh, since the 1960s, you've needed two incomes to to stay keep your head you know above the water in middle class America. So there are economic and social circumstances that account for why so many women want to go to work. In addition, not all women want to raise kids, right? Not all women are cut out for raising kids, right? So what do you do with a woman who's not cut out to raise kids? It's better that the kids are cared for by someone who's competent than if she does it and she hates it, right? You don't think that the kids are going to get infected if if uh, their mother hates staying home? Fuentes thinks women shouldn't have the vote either, but that's probably not going to land. So yeah, this guy's a gamer, all right? He's, he's a shock jock. Articulate, charismatic, and convincing. I mean, he's articulate, charismatic, and convincing to a certain crowd, all right? So most of my friends wouldn't find him articulate, charismatic, and convincing. They'd find him of varying degrees of entertainment value. He's built a substantial following. Yeah, but has he built a substantial following among university professors? among dentists, among accountants, among rabbis, among priests, among intellectuals. No, he's built a substantial following among a young gamer crowd that likes doing edgy things. He began with the online gaming community and he spread outward from there and he holds his own rallies. He also wants to be president. Oh, who doesn't want to be president? Everybody wants to rule the world, right? Some of them are okay. Live tard. Live tard. Yes. But you know what? Yeah. My service animal. Yeah, love it. Hey, let's go. MAGA, baby. Let's go. Let's keep walking around, guys. Hey, Lou. I met you at a spot. Hey. I was a little bit rude to you, and I just wanted to say that if I meet you again, you'd be downright nasty. Fuck you, I'm a fuck. Get the fuck out of the United States, you scum sucker. They said they met you at AFPAC. And what did they say after that? If they In see you again, life, like something, something. Something like that, yeah. When I was watching you earlier, you only had about a hundred viewers. Yeah. yeah. And now you're up to, what, 240? Yeah. Yeah, so the issue has been... The so the, the internet career doesn't last a long time, all right? So... I had streams with a thousand live viewers and uh, JF Garapi and Andy Worski had live streams with up to 12,000, 14,000 live viewers. Baked Alaska had some live streams with over 10,000 live viewers. Uh, not many people are able to keep that going on the internet for very long. Right? The the internet career doesn't seem to last very long. I mean, JF Garapi has about a tenth of his former audience. I have about a tenth of, of my form, former audience. That's pretty much 
par for the course. Deplatforming really hits you hard. So when you were in the capital, yes. you had more than 10,000. I had almost 20,000 live, yeah. 20,000 Yeah, but that's on, that was on D-Live with all my subscribers. I really Louie's biggest fan. I wrote this song about Louie. You wrote this song about Louie? Louie was in a gay porno, by the way. Whoa, disavow, disavow. I, well, I'm, I'm actually sober. Listen, oh, listen. Yeah. So say that you need the pit bull, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did the 12 steps, yeah. Yeah. For oh, years. They did the 12 steps. Hey, I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've seen the, the tremendous spiritual maturity and change that uh, Baked Alaska's gone through the past couple of years. So I, I think he's been doing the hard work of the 12 steps. Good on you, Baked. Hey, we got some Cubans out here. Mexico, USA, baby. Yeah. Trump, Trump 2024. Yeah. Vote for Trump. What was racist? Calling us Cubans. I asked. I asked. No, you could have asked. I asked. I said, are you Cuban? Hey, you guys know Louis Thoreau? You heard of this guy? We're filming. We're filming. Yeah, so he doesn't like, Louis Theroux does not like being featured on Bake's production, right? Journalists hate it when the people they're interviewing tape them. Yeah. Right? So, so journalists only want to take from you. They want to use you. I, I don't think it's exploitation, but we all want what we want. And it's just that some of us think we, you know, we have a divine right to, to get what we want. And if other people want the same thing, such as, you know, using our image and likeness and personality and words to to make money that that's wrong is like only the professional priestly class of journalists who should be able to make money from live streams yeah. are you doing no i'm from london england oh, yeah dude yeah, yeah it's all about this guy where are you guys from hey, 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 hey. all right we gotta go what's up guys All right, guys, that was the special guest, if you didn't guess. So. Hey, chat. Louis Thoreau's here. So the chat says, I feel anticipatory anxiety for every innocent bystander who might need to interact with, with Baked Alaska. Louis follows a live streamer, annoyed when live streamer makes him the focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all want things on our own terms. So... There have been plenty of days where I have not had the confidence to live stream. Like live streaming takes a ridiculous amount of confidence to, to do it well, even to do it mediocrely. Between 2012 and 2015, I did you know, almost no videos. I, I just didn't have the confidence. So confidence, all right, you need to have this amount of confidence to do a live stream or to, to even make a video. But then if you get even a little too much confidence, then you end up saying ridiculous things and doing ridiculous things and having a ridiculous idea of your own level of insight or, or ability or, or talent. So you want to you want to be up to here with confidence, but you don't want to be up there. Right? <laughs> you want to have a an above average level of confidence to to do a live stream. And, and to share your thoughts with the world. But if you get, right, you want to maybe get up to a five or a six out of 10 in confidence to do a live stream. But it, for most of us, flawed individuals, like getting to a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 level of confidence, right, the higher you get over six is, is very dangerous. But uh, do, do you struggle with confidence? 
because I'll admit there have been uh, quite a few times in my life where I struggled with confidence today. Uh, for example, I had to go rent a car. So I, I went to rent the car and I accidentally picked up the car, started driving down the street and I accidentally hit something. So the, the warning lights are, are blinking and I can't get them to turn off. So I turn my car around, go back to the dealership. And, and as I go in, I, I'm a little anxious and I roll over the curb and I get a flat tire. Okay. So and then, then I like, I rip part of my, my, my thumbnail off and it starts bleeding today. Uh, so I've been thinking about confidence and how to get out of your confidence crisis at work. This is a terrific video, but it has a lot of application aside from just work. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Erin Foley, professional development speaker. Okay, so she mainly works with women and helping them develop their career. And you think this sounds like the most boring person ever. You know, why does 40, you know, play all this psychology porn? Here to talk to you about confidence. So let me start off with this. So here's, here's my instinctive reaction. Oh, some people have confidence. Right? I wish I could be one of those people with confidence. All right. But, you know, I lack confidence. Right. That, that's my visceral response to, to this video. A lot of us have this perception that confidence is either something we have or something we don't have. And I want to challenge. That's, that's a great point. Like we think we have these innate personality traits, confidence, diligence. We're outgoing. We're sensitive. We're powerful. We're funny. But all, all these so-called uh, traits that we think we have, they're all situational. In some contexts, I am funny. In other contexts, I'm not funny. In some contexts, I have a high amount of conscientiousness. In other contexts, I have a low amount of conscientiousness. In some contexts, I am considerate and thoughtful and empathic. And other contexts, I am none of those. Right? There's really no such thing as moral character because who we are varies depending on the situation. Like if I got, if I started hanging out with Baked Alaska, I would probably be affected by that. And, and I think, oh, it'd be fun to have a lot, thousand live viewers. You know, I'm just going to up the, the outrageous things that I, I say on a live stream. That perception. Saying that confidence is either something we have or don't have would be like saying joy is something we either have or don't have. Sadness is either something we don't or don't have or have. Confidence is an emotion. It's an emotion. Right. Confidence is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. A lot of these things are emotion and they depend on context and situation. They're not innate to who we are, right? We're not inherently usually sad or happy or confident or charismatic. In some circumstances, I'm charismatic. In some circumstances, I'm the life of the party. In other circumstances, I'm a wallflower. In other circumstances, like when I'm happy, I am outgoing. When I'm not happy, I'm introverted. Emotional state based on your brain's reaction to a particular circumstance. And right. So all these things that we think are inherent to ourselves or to our sister or to our boss or to our friends, like he's confident, he's charismatic, you know, he's so strong, right? No one's strong in every circumstance. No one's ethical in every circumstance. You may think, oh, my rabbi is such a righteous man. Well, there are lots of circumstances where he's not such a righteous man. Like Dennis Prager, moral leader, right? Some circumstances and situations, he's not so moral. Right. And someone else who's a pornographer and you think is just scum of the earth 
in other circumstances, he's going to be morally outstanding. I, I don't believe in demons. I don't believe in describing people as demons. All right? People are different depending on the circumstance. They, it's a combination of the situation with their genetics and imprinting that they bring to a situation. There are times in our life, times in our career, where we feel confident and times where we do not feel confident. So unless you are someone who is sociopathic and you just sort of have a delusional confidence all the time, chances are at some point... Right, doesn't that sound like uh, the most successful live streamers that are so sociopathic and have delusional levels of confidence all the time, right? <laughs> those, are, those are some of the qualities for the, for the most successful live streamers. In your life, you're going to move from feeling confident to not feeling confident. And that's because the brain reacts to a change in circumstance, and it certainly reacts when it perceives. Right. So I'm constantly moving from confidence to lack of confidence. So today I had to do a bunch of stuff. I lacked confidence. I drove away, and my warning lights are blinking, blinking, blinking. I lack confidence. I run over a curb, and, and my tire goes flat, and I, I lack confidence and I need to get somewhere and I don't, they don't have a car that's ready. You know, I lack confidence. Then I get a car and I get on the road and everything's going well and everything's working on the car. And I, then, you know, I get confidence again. So I walk into a room and there are people there who like me and who respond to me and who laugh with me. All right. I, I gain confidence. I walk into a room and nobody gives me the time of day. I, I lose confidence. When I, when I gird up to do a live stream, I often uh, play some music, right? play some LG or some Aria Speedwagon, all right? And, and that music gives me like an increased level of confidence. Use the circumstance to be a threat in some way. So if you clicked on this video, chances are you have something in your career that has shaken your confidence. It could be that you're in a brand new job. It could be that you are working with a boss that you haven't worked with before. It could be that you got feedback that is something you didn't expect. Yeah, so I have often been like sailing along with great confidence and then gotten fired and just been absolutely shocked. And I'm thinking, well, I'm getting four times as much work as, as the next person in, in my position. Like, you know, how on earth could I, could I be getting fired? Or I could be like sailing along and someone asks a question and I don't answer the right way. And suddenly I realize I'm vulnerable to that person. And I, I realize how bad my answer makes me look. And then they want to go further and further down this road that makes me feel vulnerable and insecure. And I was sailing and sailing and sailing. And then suddenly I'm feeling vulnerable and insecure and thinking, oh, wow, this, this doesn't look good at all. So you can be sailing along one comment, one piece of feedback. Uh, your computer doesn't work. Your car won't start. And you're thrown expect you got some kind of negative or critical feedback and that has shaken your confidence. Um, could be that you are working on a different team or a different project or you have a different coworker that has changed the dynamics. There's so many different things that can take us from a state of feeling pretty confident in who we are and what we're doing to feeling rather insecure and experiencing a lot of second. Right. So one thing I learned from interviewing thousands of people is that everybody's more vulnerable than you think. Like everybody's got vulnerabilities, right? My father would often say there's, there's no horse that can't be rode and there's no rider that can't be thrown. And Laponia says, Baked Alaska helped that trailer park woman when she had a badly infected eye. He is a humanitarian. Did Louis Theroux bring that up in the documentary? No, he did not. But I've only seen part one. Maybe in parts two and three, he will 
you will recognize Bake's contributions to humanity. I'm guessing. So I want you to know that confidence is something that will shift in your life. We move in and out of it, particularly if you are moving through your career with a sense of progressing, allowing yourself to shift and change, allowing yourself to possibly level up, um, anything that would allow you to change at all, as opposed to just staying in one very specific role or task that you never shift. If it shifts at all, you are likely going to experience a change in your level of confidence. So one of the things that I, I find that people will do when this happens, particularly people who have had a state of confidence in something else that they've done or people who have been doing, maybe you're someone that does a lot of self-help or you know you try to stay positive. There's this tendency to find ourselves in a state where we're questioning our confidence, we're feeling insecure, we're second guessing, and you start to feel bad about yourself because you feel bad. So you start to like mentally shame yourself for feeling like your confidence is gone away or not feeling confident. Like I should be confident. Why am I not confident? Why am I questioning my confidence in this world? Why do I feel this way? This is what I call in um, the coaching world, like a double negative. It's like, it's like if you felt sad about a breakup and then you're mad at yourself for feeling sad, it doesn't make any sense. It's not productive. And it just takes the initial emotion that you're experiencing and it doubles it down even more intensely. So Erase any shame you have over feeling a lack of confidence in the position that you're in right now or in whatever it is that's sort of shaking your confidence. It's a human reaction to any kind of minute change or shift, and you're not broken because you feel that way. It's not something that I want you to willpower yourself out of feeling by telling yourself that you shouldn't feel this way and you should be tougher and you Right, I think this woman's great. I remember in 1988, I was sailing through life. I felt like getting straight A's in college. I'd been accepted into UCLA. I had about $40,000 in the bank. And then boom, I woke up with what felt like the flu and it didn't go away for about 35 years. I got called chronic fatigue syndrome. And then when I was in the midst of my chronic fatigue and I was staying at home in my parents' place in rural California in Newcastle, you know, out in the country, and my parents were gone and uh, I, I got out of bed and one night and my back went out and I couldn't get back up. I mean, <laughs> so since about 1990, my back has gone out about once a year and just completely immobilized me. Thank God it hasn't happened for about four years now, ever since I discovered strain counter strain therapy or otherwise known as positional release. But uh, between about 1990 and 2016, my back would go out about once a year and when it would, I'd just be completely immobilized. So I could be confident one moment, completely lose all my confidence the next minute. Whenever I get sick, I have these, you know, dark introspective times where I think, oh man, what are you doing 40? Who have you harmed? Are you doing anyone any good? Are you ever going to, you know, move ahead in life? No, I don't think so. You should understand your value and all of those things. What's happened is that something has shifted and your brain is seeing it as unfamiliar and it's seeing it as dangerous and it's questioning your capabilities in that setting and it sends off alarm signals and it starts to panic.
So that's what creates your, your the, that's the circumstance that will create the confidence crisis most of the time. So here's what I want you to do instead. First thing I want you to do is to recognize the circumstance shift that has led to this feeling of shaken and feeling shaken in your confidence, right? Like think of the circumstance. Think about the circumstance shift. You get fired. You get some critical feedback. You thought you were connected with someone and a, a valuable connection has dissolved. And, and the person who was a friend uh, has turned you know, strongly against you. You thought you had $40,000 in the bank, but uh, the, the IRS has just sent you a notice saying you owe $50,000 in taxes. All right. So recognize the situation has changed. That There are some realistic reality-based reasons why you have suddenly lost confidence. Circumstance and just name it. My boss shifted, my coworker shifted, I'm in something new. Like I want you to just start to recognize like this is my brain's reaction to a change. Now, I'm I don't want you to start So you may be wondering how 40 did you overcome 35 years of chronic fatigue syndrome? Seriously? Six of these. No, started off getting tremendous benefit just taking two of these a day. About six months ago, I, I came across on Amazon. Amazon suggested, you know, grass-fed beef organs from ancestral supplements. I have felt so good ever since I started taking these. So prior to taking these, I couldn't usually do much more than two or three miles of exercise a day. Once I started taking these, I could do 10, 12 miles. So grass-fed beef organs. Uh, unfortunately, I've been a vegetarian all my life, and uh, reading the great work of Nathan Kofnis has helped me realize how destructive and, and bad for your health that is and all the, the considerable downsides that come with being a vegetarian but at age 55 it's it's too challenging to change my habits about what i eat all right we all tend to keep eating the foods that we ate in childhood so i can't will myself into eating meat but i can swallow six ancestral supplement grass-fed beef organs and suddenly i had unbelievable vitality and strength and capacity to exercise and to do push-ups and pull-ups all from taking these grass-fed beef organ capsules has absolutely changed my life after you know a lifetime of poor health of fatigue of weakness uh, of mental fog take some of these beef organ capsules change my life start attaching the circumstance automatically causes the confidence crisis what actually happens is there's a circumstance, you're in something new, you have a new boss, you got critical feedback. The way your brain perceives it and reacts to it is what actually creates the confidence crisis, right? That's Yeah, so it's not the situation, it's not the feedback. It's not that I got a flat tire. It's not that I couldn't figure out how to turn off the, the warning light. Someone else in my situation, they wouldn't have panicked. They wouldn't have had high anxiety, right? If my computer doesn't work or my car doesn't start, Right, I usually feel tremendous anxiety and fear. Right, that's not inherent in the situation. It is the development, some combination of my genetics with uh, the habits of, of thinking and reacting and feeling that I've developed. That's why two people can experience the same circumstance, and one person starts to panic and spiral, and another person has no reaction. So I was doing my taxes the other day, and the PDF form that my accountant had given me, I wasn't able to fill it in for some reason. So for an hour, I was just furious. Like I'd been sick for a week. I was settling down for the first time in about a week to do some hard work. I was just going to knock out my taxes for 2021. 
I was going to buck up. It was Sunday morning. I was just going to you know, get something done. Just, you know, pull through it in, in a couple of hours, get my, get my taxes done, send it off to the accountant. And for an hour, I can't fill in this PDF. So eventually I go to print, uh, print the document as Adobe PDF. And then it, it gives me a document that I can fill in. So then I spent another, you know, 90 minutes, two hours. But I was so furious. I was so anxious ridden. I was like, I left irate phone call. My accountant, I, I left uh, irate email and the solution was was right there all along, but for some reason, I get these you know huge bursts of anxiety and fear and rage. I, I wish I didn't, and luckily they don't last as long as they used to, and they don't leave me with as an intense uh, an emotional hangover as they used to, but they just still come out of nowhere and just knock me for six to it. It's because it's really dependent upon what your brain does, what it makes that circumstance mean. So I want you to just name the circumstance as a way to start to recognize like this is just my brain's reaction to something external that's happening, right? I'm not broken. This isn't because I haven't willpowered myself enough into feeling calm. So what I've learned is that I don't beat myself down for feeling so much ridiculous levels of anxiety or fear or anger. I'm, I'm not thrilled. I'm not happy that I'm having them. And I think with, with more daily meditation, maybe that will be reduced. But luckily, I'm not adding to this problem that I already have anymore. So I used to you know, berate myself for feeling so anxious and fearful and, and angry. And that would just you know, exacerbate the problem. So this way, because I no longer tend to berate myself for having these ridiculous and embarrassing you know, emotional surges, uh, that way they, they blow through me and I can just move on with my day without that emotional hangover. Confident, this is just my brain seeing something as fearful and dangerous. Then I want you to shift your focus on what you're going to be confident around, particularly if... And uh, Elliot Blatt says anxiety is a choice. Well, it's not a conscious choice. Now, he's saying, oh, there are probably things you can do that can reduce your anxiety levels, and I'm sure there are. So in the sense that by not doing the work, I am choosing to leave myself vulnerable to these periodic attacks of anxiety, fear, and anger through that. What is shaking your confidence is something that is new in any way. It might be a new job. It might be a new project. It might be a presentation that you're giving, something that you just don't feel like you've had an incredible amount of time or practice at, and it's really shaking your confidence. So for about two years, I knew that I needed to learn Streamlabs OBS. And I tend to have this fear of technology. And I started using computers in about 1982. So in 1982, I was playing games with my friends. I was in, in 10th grade in high school. And so I started using computers then. And by 1985, when I was at college, I was the editor of the Sierra College newspaper. And we would uh, produce it using uh, an Apple uh, computer. So... Uh, I would. I worked for the Auburn Journal in my senior year of high school, 1983-84, and so I'd cover a basketball game or a baseball game, and then I'd come into the journal, the Auburn Journal, at say 9 or 10 p.m. at night, and I'd knock out my story on on their computers, and it'd show up in, in the paper the next day. So probably had an above average experience with technology, and yet there's all this fear and anxiety and, and self-loathing and, and anger seems to often come out with me when I learn new technology. So for about two years when I was doing this live streaming thing, three years, 
I, I realized I needed to knuckle down and learn OBS. And through the, the 12 step work that I've done, I think it enabled me to step into finally settling down on, on a Sunday to learn OBS and it took me about an hour with, with the help of Kyle Rowland. <laughs> and, uh, and so in about an hour, I got the basics of, of OBS. And then I struggled with my sound quality for years. And then finally I lashed out and spent uh, $500, got a, got a consult. And out of that, I, I learned more about sound and, and got uh, more effective uh, sound quality. But yeah, that, that fear of technology, anxiety about technology, and anger about my inability to learn technology is still, you know, under the surface that, that you know, pops up at, at times. Instead of deciding I need to will myself into feeling confident about this thing, I want you to think about your confidence in your ability to become confident. <laughs> That's awesome. Confidence in your ability to become confident. And the chat says, my career has been in IT, information technology, for 10 years and still a wreck to learn new things. It's never-ending. With IT, it either works or it doesn't, not like other careers. Say that again. Confidence in your ability to become confident. And IT is, is one of those fields where there's such a gigantic gap between great and good and, and mediocre, right? Getting mediocre tech support or even good tech support is no substitute for great tech support. So it helps to have a great lawyer, a great accountant, a great dentist. And hello, caller. Welcome to the show, Elliot Blatt. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Blessings to you, man. Hi, Luke. How are you? Oh, just uh, getting anxiety listening to you talk about anxiety. It's, It's all physical, bro. You ever think about it that way? You ever think about, you know, all these mental games, all these techniques, all these things you tell yourself aren't nearly as effective as simply just just relaxing your body? And that I, would... Okay, the, so just, give, give me an example of, uh, of situations that make you extremely anxious and how you overcame, overcame that. Okay, well, I'll give you an example. Well, how is, how is an example of failure? So yesterday, I'm at Whole Foods, right? And uh, this is a brand new Whole Foods, by the way, like brand spanking new, right? Just opened like not even a month ago. The paint's still wet, you know, and it's giant. <coughs> it's a giant one. And uh, so, uh, I, you know, I feel myself potentially getting sick. I don't know if it's the COVID. I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I need to make some chicken soup. So I, I go to the I go to the meat counter at the Whole Foods to get some bones to make uh, soup with, and I get there and there's like four guys behind the counter, right? And for for one thing, nobody waits in line anymore. They just kind of crowd around, you know, and start shouting and just butting and doing all these things that never used to happen before. It's like this, uh, you know, Taiwan, you know, wet market situation. You know, it's like, it's like a, um, you know, what's the name? (laughs) Wuhan. It's like Wuhan all of a sudden at Whole Foods. I think I'm going to Whole Foods and suddenly I found myself at Wuhan, at a Wuhan wet market. So anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm lying 
And there's like this family of Chinese people and they're looking at the, they're, they're like carefully like looking through the glass at all the meat and they're like really burning their brains about which one to pick, you know, they can't decide. They're talking it over, you know, they're arguing about it. And there's just a queue of people behind them, right? Just tapping their feet and, you know, and they're saying, can you pick this one up? Can you turn it over? Can we see it? Can we get close? You know, and they're inspecting it like it's this sort of, you know, Han Dynasty antique relic or something, you know, this big slab of meat, you know, and I'm sitting there. Okay, this is one of those moments where I'm going to have to, like, um, use some relaxation techniques, <clears throat> you know, I want to start screaming right now, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make a scene. I'm just going to, I'm going to suck this up and I'm going to just process this and I'm just going to remain a mature adult about this. Right. And the minutes are going by Luke. It's like one minute, two minutes, five minutes. And it's like 10 minutes and the line is not progressing. Luke. And I'm still, I, I'm like, this is a test. You know, you've been put here to endure this. Keep relaxing. Don't blow up. Don't blow up. You want to blow up. And so I do this. I keep relaxing. And then finally they do this transaction, right? And then someone butts in line. They just leap ahead of me. Another Chinese family leaps ahead of me. I don't know if it's some sort of a, um, you know, I think it's a holiday, like the New Year holiday. And they all have to pick out these like, choice cuts of meat or something. And they just jump in front of me and they start chattering, chatting with the guy behind the behind the counter. And at this point, I just lose it. I, I, I lose it. I just start screaming, you know, hey, you get in line. I was here first. Blah, blah, blah. I start yelling at the deli people for not paying attention. I start yelling at the at the Chinese family and they didn't understand me. And I finally blew up. I lost my cool. So <laughs> so I may talk a big game about being able to relax, relax your body, but <laughs> Yeah. As you can tell, you know, life, life deal, you know, life gives you more than you can handle sometimes, Luke. So I understand. Okay. And uh, what about with IT stuff? So I, I often experience anxiety and, and rage and insecurity and fear with regard to IT stuff. How about you? <clears throat> well, um, th that is my line of work. So. I've developed techniques for handling that stuff. So I have techniques. So, but they, they were hard won, though. you know, believe me that, you know, it is frustrating because you're talking about, you're talking about a non-human entity, you know, and you have to sort of, convert, you have to coerce this non-human entity to behave <clears throat> in the way that a human being wants it to behave. Right. And your options are very limited and you have to know the secret handshakes and you know you have to know how to look for the secret handshakes. But um, the, the simple answer, and you're going to know this answer, is to Google. You, you can believe it or not. Yeah. If you can, you can put a pretty poorly formed question and pretty quickly arrive at... Uh, uh, a you can you can arrive at a blog post that's addressing exactly the issue you're facing with because yes, we're not yes. alone we're yes. we're a community we're not islands Luke we're all bound together and uh, on a one to ten how how what kind of grade would you give yourself in your profession with ten being most excellent um 
this may sound arrogant, but uh, I, I give myself an eight. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, I mean, I'm in my 23rd year of doing this. So I've, I've got like a, a lot of day-to-day experience with all this stuff. So I have, you know, there's something to be, you can be very intelligent or you can have a lot of experience. So I have a lot of experience. <laughs> so what do you notice about younger people in your field? Um, it's, it's a good question. Uh, first it's variable. Um, there are some that are very smart. Like I said, they're, they're very smart, very quick on the uptake, but they don't have the sort of deep foundation that allows them to uh think outside of pre-made ready-made solutions right how important is that deep foundation for just simply getting it done in the real world uh the deep foundation comes into play when something goes wrong right to understand and diagnose to understand and diagnose a problem you need that deep foundation. You can get something done in a more or less effective way, um, but it's it's like um, it's the difference between a pharmacist and a doctor. You know, like a pharmacist can dispense the pills to you to make you healthy, but a doc it needs a doctor to understand the cause. If that makes sense. So. Uh, the younger, you know, younger people are the better ones are eager and they're receptive to new information and they're hungry, right? But there's a lot of people that just want to get paid and go home and want to just do as little as possible, and they end up uh, they add a lot less value. But you can coast, you can, you can, you can get away with that latter attitude for a number of years, um, and because there's just so much there's so much demand for uh you know technology people that can do technology that people are really willing to overlook a lot of deficiencies in the way that somebody that, that's job whose job it is to sort of change the uh the airplane you know, to fix the uh airplane engine would not get such slack because ultimately it's only data you know so how, how, what are you? What are the primary tools that you use to combat unwanted levels of anxiety and fear and frustration and anger? Uh, exercise, even light exercise, walking, uh, twisting, stretching, swimming. Um, I'd like to say meditation. I used to do that, but I, I simply can't do it anymore for some reason. I don't know. Um, but I, I find um, I'm able to discharge a lot of mental stress through physical activity. Uh, oh. And also, I have an attitude of, I've also, I mean, the only added, here's just, I mean, this mount, this may sound really simple and trite, but you have to just remind yourself it doesn't matter. 
you know, yes, it's important to get this done. But if you just sort of tell yourself, if I relax, I'll be able to get this done. And this be all, this whole little drama will be over and you'll move on. But you need to sort of let go a little bit before you can actually engage. It's a paradox. Do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Uh, early days of my career, yes, absolutely. Because I was an imposter. I, I was a total fake it till you make it imposter. And I got sick of feeling that way. So I, you know, I buckled down and worked at it. But yeah, the entire first year of my working life, I was a total imposter. I used to think I would be fired. I'd go to work thinking, well, it was my last day. You know, I was perfectly ready to be fired, you know. And every day that I didn't get fired, you know, I'm like, it was a win for me. Um, but this was like during the dot-com era, and there was just a huge, huge uh, slack period, you know. You could really just be a complete boob and, and keep your job. <laughs> uh, may I ask, what's the most amount of money you've ever made in one year? Uh, you, is it is it cool to talk like that? Uh, I made one fifty one year. Okay, so yeah, the most I've made is six figures. Yeah, but that year was um, it was such a painful year. It wasn't worth it in the end. How many stressed. how many hours a week did you work? Um, I worked about I don't know fifty. I guess it wasn't the number of hours; it was the amount of stress that surrounded the work. Yeah. Uh, um, it, like I would wake up every morning and just think, I'd rather be dead than go to work right now. I would rather be dead, you know. Um. So I decided not to um, live like that anymore. It's not, you know, the money is fine and everything, but uh, the pain associated with some types of work is just not worth it, you know, because money really didn't really, <clears throat> it didn't really change much, you know, having that sort of extra financial cushion you know, it didn't, it, it sort of led me into bad habits, actually. So uh, it's weird that your your needs just kind of automatically yes, yes, yes. expand <laughs> with your income. You I know? start buying all sorts of vegetable juices. Yeah, it's like little <laughs> things like that. And you're like, yeah, well, I can afford it. Yeah, I can afford it. And pretty soon, you know, you're looking, <laughs> you look at your bank statement. You're like, what am I blowing my money on? You know, yeah. this is bullshit, you know? And the actual benefits, like, you know, you, you, I don't know. Just a, I just, uh, youth is wasted on the young and money is wasted on the stupid. <laughs> so here's the thing for me. This is the number one factor in, in my anxiety levels, my fear levels, my narcissism levels, my depression levels, and, and maybe even my energy levels. It's, it's the quality of my relationships with other people. If I'm feeling strongly connected with other people, my anxiety and my depression and my rage and my fear and, and my need for 
you know, narcissistic release and, and diversion is quite muted. So if I'm not feeling strongly connected with other people, then, you know, I'm just wide open to, you know, any of these various maladies. But it, it overwhelmingly it just comes down to the quality of my bonds with others. Yeah, you say that often. Um, do you find that they ebb and flow or they just remain? Oh, no, they absolutely ebb and flow. Like, I, I've, I've <coughs> thought that I had great relations with someone and they mm-hmm. real, I suddenly realized that they hate me. Or, they hate you? Yeah, yeah. In IRL or online? Yeah, in real life, I thought I had great relations with someone and then yeah. it suddenly just like he burst out and just cut me to pieces in front of others. Ooh. Yeah. A uh, man or a woman? A man. Uh, like your peer group or older or younger? Um, peer group. Yeah. And so, Interesting. Yeah, that was that was devastating because, you know, I thought he was a friend and, and I completely misread that. Or I've, I've misread my standing in, in my community, whichever community it is. You know, I thought it was above average. I thought it was good. And suddenly I, I walk into a room and I, I realize it's below average. Well, do you feel like you pick up on social cues accurately? Um, I think I'm okay. I I'm I wouldn't say I'm a I don't think I'm above average. So I, I do have a rule. I will not date any woman who's worse than me at picking up social cues. So that only happened to me once. And after that I said never again. <clears throat> but I mean that's a pretty big miss, Luke, I have to say. I mean, uh like Yes. You think someone's was. a friend and then you find out Yes, I've had some big misses, yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, criticize you. I'm just saying. Um, I mean, I remember that kind of experience when I was, you know, in teenage years and stuff with sort of, you know, high school style relationships. But adult relationships, I mean, people. Uh, how often did you have contact with this person? Every day, but I made one tasteless joke too many. <laughs> Oh, you know, I could see that. Yeah, I could see. Okay, you know what? Here's what it is. Some people can absorb a lot. Yes. And then they break. Yes. And they break violently. Other people can't absorb too much and they let you know immediately. Yes. Right? And so you can calibrate around them. Yes. But it's it's those silent types like me. Yes. (laughs) I, I absorb a lot. I absorb a lot. And then finally, <laughs> it just, the rage just pours out like a volcano, you know? So maybe you got caught in one of those traps. Yeah, but he made it clear all along that he didn't appreciate this particular type of humor. He made oh. it clear, and I just ignored and overrode. Now, that, now that's a mistake. But why would you do that? Because I get high from thinking I'm entertaining people. Yeah. See, that's, hmm. I think you, uh, you think you're like testing the bounds of the friendship. I mean, that's a weird behavior, Luke. Are you trying to say, well, you know, I can, I know he doesn't like it, but I'm going to taunt him anyway, because our bond is so strong. No, it's more yeah. like, I, I'm not even thinking about how he doesn't like it. I'm just thinking this is a hilarious remark to to make right now. Now, is it was it really off color, or was it just slightly off color? 
Well, I said to two Jewish businessmen, um, you know, I really love your, your Torah learning or something like that when they were talking about uh, bargaining techniques. <laughs> That's... <laughs> no, I would have found that funny. They didn't find that funny. No, not at all. Interesting. Uh, and you, you'd made similar such jokes in the past? Yeah, I talked about... Oh, I love seeing you... I love seeing you guys use your Judaism. Uh, yeah, I love your Torah, man. And, <laughs> and now, do you think they were... he just exploded. But I mean, he did... made it clear 10 times before that he didn't appreciate this. Uh, well, do you think maybe he uh, felt, you know, a little guilty or something? Or, no, I mean, he was, was just, this... he was righteously indignant and, and he was always righteously indignant, but I just didn't notice. But now he just exploded in front of all sorts of people. Oh, no. And then uh, I went right back at him. And, uh-oh. uh, yeah. <sighs> See, that's, you know, hmm. It's a very interesting tale of something I should, uh. And, and that's ruminate. happened to me hundreds of times in my life. Hundreds of times? Hundreds of times in my life. I am getting high at making jokes and mm. other people are offended, but they tolerate, tolerate, tolerate until they explode. And I mm-hmm. had a psychiatrist who said, you know, Forty is driven to provoke people and he won't stop until they set limits on him. Now, so you've been exploded on. Yeah. A hundred times in your life. Yes. Oh man! Yeah, anything I, I mean, I've been exploded on, but not recently. Um, uh, I did have this woman sort of freak out at me and give me the bird like, like a foot from my face in an office setting, and uh, that was because I had. I wouldn't say I exploded at her, but I, I publicly, you know, I in a meeting. I told her not to interrupt me anymore, you know, very firmly and very directly. So I don't, you know, I was, I think perfectly within my rights to say that. And then she just starts flailing her arms and her face gets beat red. And then she just gives me the middle finger and storms off. Yeah. I just realized, wow. I've been exploded on 109 times and I never did anything wrong. (laughs) I've been like ejected from communities 109 times and never for anything I did. <laughs> oh, God. Jeez, 109 times people have just freaked out on me for no darn reason. Exactly 109, huh? Exactly 109. I couldn't believe it. I was just adding it up in my head now. I came wow. to 109. 109 wow. times I've been kicked out of a community and it's never for anything I've done. Just people have never. these irrational eruptions of rage at me. You didn't do nothing. I never did nothing. I was just like minding the Torah, just, yeah. just you know, doing mitzvahs. And 109 times for no good reason, people just get furious at me and throw me out of their community. You were practicing your own internal morality. I was, wasn't practicing my own internal. I was practicing the Torah's morality. Yeah, true, true. Your own in-group morality. I was practicing the divine law. And then people Mm. just like freak out at me for no reason whatsoever. And it's like Mm. 
it's like a pogrom. It's like a pogrom. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing how the cycle repeats and no one seems to be and for no reason that's the whole point like if i'd done something wrong i'd understand it but 109 yeah. times for no good reason <laughs> i i mean <sighs> i just hope it doesn't end up with like six million times <laughs> well this could have you know yeah this could affect your wider community if this kept up yeah six million's no joke bro no no, I mean, 109 is. is pretty bad. Uh, hmm. Well, um, so what? So, how could you become conscious of this behavior pattern? Do you? And maybe um, you know, I used to have a lot of annoying ticks, and probably still do. And you know, people have made me aware of this, and it's very painful to receive that message. And yeah. so you, I guess you have two options once you get that message. You can either take it on board and do some introspection, or you can go into denial and sort of double down. So, kind of like Ethan, Ralph's sort of situation. So someone, <laughs> I was staying with someone and, and uh, she was uh, participating in her book club with members of her Anglican church. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of tired of being, you know, off camera and just, you know, being kind of isolated in this, this small apartment. So I put on my dad's bright red dressing gown and, you know, I just kind of flounced out into the living room and I lay on the couch, like in full view of her book club. And I started doing this exercise. I had this, like this, this pain in my piriformis muscle, which is like right in the middle of the buttock. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm throwing off one set of clothing. You know, I'm throwing on my dad's bright red dressing gown. I'm lying down on the couch, and it look, looks, from an objective perspective, it looks like I'm humping the couch. But I'm really just doing an exercise for my piriformis muscle. And so this person whom I'm staying with, like, says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I gotta go," because it looked like I, I found out that I was doing a strip tease and then hum, humping the couch when they were trying to have a godly book club discussion. Uh, uh, how old were you when this event happened? Uh, this was about uh, two months ago. <laughs> and and Look, I, I thought it was hilarious. I was ready for you to say 20 years ago. No, this is like two months ago. I thought it was hilarious. Like <laughs> I, I just laughing and laughing. And this person close to me is a very respectable person. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, she's, was this she's, in Australia? Yeah, or LA? this is in Australia, and this is a very respectable person with you know, important connections. You know, maybe even work connections, and these people are very important to her. And her brother's doing a strip tease in the background, and then culminating by humping the couch. And and so I just think it's like the most funny thing ever. And so mm -hmm. I call my brother, and I say, "Oh, yeah. you never guess what just happened? Uh, isn't this hilarious?" And mm -hmm. and my brother pointed out that I was being a selfish prick. <laughs> the gall of him yeah I, I thought this was hilarious i thought he would join with me in celebrating the the tr hilarity of this striptease humping the couch performance but uh he just thought no, wait, i was being was this, selfish was the offended party your sister i can't say i can't get into details like that. okay 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 all right well uh 
Luke, I, I mean, I got to say, um, you have to ask, you have to ask yourself, do these behaviors serve you? <clears throat> Isn't that what the 12 step question would be? That is the question. And it, 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 it didn't, but it wasn't yeah. horrible. Like it wasn't a 10 out of a 10 disaster, but you know, it was, it was a bad thing to do for someone who'd been very good to me. And that doesn't yeah. serve me to do bad things to people who've been good well, to me. I think you, I think you probably, this is how you saw it. I'm going to show my appreciation to her or him. I think it was a her, uh, by amusing them because they're all very intense and yeah, serious. I thought I was I, bringing, um, I thought I was doing a mitzvah. Yeah. No, I, I can, but it honestly, was bad optics. It was better. It was better. But I can honestly, there was a part of me that would do, I don't know, something exactly like that. But I do, or I used to inject levity in situations where it wasn't called for or it wasn't appreciated. Not to the degree that you have done, but I sort of understand the impulse, you know, that class clown impulse. Um. You know, and I'm not even sure I condemn it. You know, I, you know, it's not, I don't know. Uh, solemnity. I don't know. It doesn't take, not everybody can be solemn all the time or even any of the time. Right. And, and, and a, you know, I do have a gift to, to give to the world with my jokes, but, you know, they need to be <clears throat> tailored. Yeah. I don't know. I've been beaten down. I just stopped doing jokes. I just assume everybody is boring. I do notice that, especially among people on the political left, is that there is no sense of humor whatsoever anymore. And there used to be people that could take a joke, you know. Uh, there was a certain fun in the banter. And something about Facebook that just seems to have or exhausted people's capacity to take a joke or people are so anxious that they can't appreciate humor. Is this something you notice or is this just in my head? No, that, that's definitely something to the, I mean, social mores are always changing. And so mm -hmm. you know, what was socially acceptable a year ago is no longer socially acceptable. So yeah, times change, feelings change. <clears throat> So what about uh, so what about this candidate situation? What's your take on that? Uh, good question. So I, I think I definitely side much more with the government because this this uh, trucker protest is disrupting and hurting the lives of tens of thousands of people, uh, of innocent people. So, so yeah, mm. I definitely side with the government in uh, you know restricting that. So now, is this something you really believe or are you just trying to antagonize your audience? No, this is something I really believe. You, you don't have the right to protest and hurt thousands of people um, just because, you know, you disagree with the government. But um, now I don't know this, uh, you know, I've really tuned into this very lightly. I'm trying to keep, a, you know, <clears throat> more distance between myself and politics. But why... Why are their demands so beyond the pale that the government can't negotiate with them? Why, why are you know, why is Trudeau act uh, Trudeau acting in this manner where he 
not only, you know, just, just demonizes them from the word go and doesn't even engage in the dialogue. Wouldn't that be the more mature response? Well, should he reward them for, for their behavior? I mean, I, I'm not sure. So, like, so I, I think that, it's terrible. So what if, what if that had severely inconvenienced you? These are the people doing the work, Luke. These are the people doing the work, right? And the government is making their lives, uh, you know, more difficult than it needs to be, right? They're not sitting around collecting a check. They're actually out there on the roads. So have you ever met a trucker? Have you ever talked to a trucker? Yes. It's hard, lonely work, Luke. My mother was a trucker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a you know obviously I sided with the truckers, but I, I I honestly think you're trolling when you say things like this. Well, I, I don't know what I, other I demands. There's no right. There's no right. You have no right to not to be inconvenienced. Where does that right come from? How many people die? Let's say that as a result of these trucker protests, fifteen people have died. At what point, at what loss of life would they would so, you say it's bad? In what form would this death take? I, I don't know. I haven't read much about the trucker protest, but they have stopped roads. So let's say an ambulance can't get to the hospital. Let's say needed you know, medical supplies can't get to someone. So in your mind, there is no legitimate form of political protest. You're simply to do what the government says. No, of course cases. there are legitimate forms. But if, if you break the law, there's no legitimate form of law breaking. If you break the law and you inconvenience thousands of people, what law are they're, they they're blocking streets. They're blocking roads. Are they, they've just set up roadblocks how are they blocking they're on the street let's say that, that what they were doing cost you your living cost you your life savings I mean you couldn't visit grandma you couldn't visit your child you couldn't get together with your friends like, would, would you have a different view then possibly but i'd also wonder why the government's not negotiating with them why i i, I would look at the if they were like saying we want double our we want our wages doubled. That'd be one thing, but they don't. They, they, you know, they see some uh, what they feel to be uh, government overreach, and they're upset about it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just side with them. I, I think it's legitimate. I think, I think the government is way overreacting at a time where, you know, most of Northern European is rolling, just completely disregarding any, uh, or just casting away any COVID restrictions whatsoever. You have Canada doubling down on them with these ridiculous requirements. I mean, Luke, you're not you're not thinking clearly here. Your epistemics are broken, my dude. You say I got bad epistemics? Yeah, bro. You gotta work on your epistemics. So what do they want? Uh what do the, the truckers want? Yeah. I think um they don't want these internal COVID passports, I think. I haven't followed that closely. So, But something about there's uh, some sort of requirement where they have to show their proof of uh, vaccination when crossing province borders, I think. I, you know, I forgot. Something like that. Okay, so I don't have a strong opinion on that. I mean, whether that's good well, or, or bad totally, government it, policy. Okay. It's just an... Okay. <clears throat> it's a ridiculous 
unnecessary hoop that the that the government just decided to decree one day. You know, who are the people that make it? You know, these are. I just can't stand the contempt that these fucking government officials have for working people and the plaudits that they laud on these layabouts who do nothing but collect a check. I just think the priorities are so inverted that it's, it's disgusting. Wait, so, so if the government the- requires that you be vaccinated to, to enter a, a, a part of, a part of the, the country, um, tell me again, what's your, I mean, I, I don't support it or oppose it. So I don't have an opinion. What, what, what is so outrageous about that? In a time of an epidemic, uh, that, that well, you it's can't... not an epidemic. So, well, okay, it's a you no. Know, we're gonna we're gonna quibble around the old COVID severity debate, which obviously I'm on one side of, and you're on another. I don't think, you know, obviously, a it's let's say these. Let's imagine that these vaccines actually work for one thing, which is very limited evidence that they do. Um, <clears throat> You know, it doesn't do anything. They they decided that the risk that they have, the risk is totally on for them, right? Their decision not to have a vac- be vaccinated only jeopardizes themselves. No, it jeopardizes everyone else because they're more likely to transmit the virus. But that's not true because it's been acknowledged by the CDC that these vaccinations do nothing to stop the spread. That's they not true. That's total, that, total it, nonsense. It is true. It is true. Cytosol. That's only, nonsense. The, o- the only thing these vaccines do is protect, possibly, and that they don't share the data, but they say that it limit, you know, it lessens your risk of being hospitalized once you contract it. Lessens so your risk of dying, gonna, and it lessens your risk of transmitting. Yeah, transmitting, you're going to have to show me some something because I've heard just the opposite. So obviously we live in an information haze and I don't want to sort of, you know, I'm not going to put a stake too deeply in the ground on this one. But my understanding is these vaccines do nothing to limit the spread because if they did, Luke, there'd be no epidemic, right? Oh, so if they're not 100% successful, therefore they're nothing? That's absurd. Let's say that they reduce transmission by 20%. Uh, which, which I think they reduce transmission by a lot okay. more than that. But even 20% is significant. There, there's no you know, magic pill for, for COVID. There's no one thing that you do and no one will ever get it. If, if vaccines, have... Let's just say that vaccines reduce transmission of COVID by 20%. And let's say they okay. reduce, reduce death from COVID by 10%. And let's say they reduce chances of hospitalization by 10%. Is that, is that nothing? Effectively, yes. Why? It's nothing. Why? So that, that would amount Luke, to tens of Luke, thousands of people Luke, around the world. So the lives of tens of thousands of people are just nothing? 85% of Canadians have been vaccinated. Okay? 85%. It's the exact same number in Denmark, Sweden, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? And the numbers keep going up, Luke. So basically almost 9 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10 have this vaccination Yet the numbers keep going up. The uh, so, so the people who are going to hospital work. are they are they ninety percent vaccinated? The people who are going to hospital with the COVID? people going to hospital? No, they're not. Have... They're ninety five percent unvaccinated. But Luke, there's confounding. There's confounders here. People who a lot of people who don't get vaccinated also don't manage their health. 
they're also obese, right? There's a lot of overlap between these two groups. So just to say that's the vaccine or the absence of vaccine is causing the hospitalizations is a lie. It's wrong. It's it's bad epistemics. It's a significant factor. Again, you you think right. if it's not one hundred percent vaccination, that therefore it's it's nothing. It's not. But let's say it's just fifty percent of the, the reason for people getting you, hospitalized. You you gotta be more rigorous with your math here, okay? If the fifteen percent aren't vaccinated, who aren't vaccinated, if ninety percent of them are obese, that is a very important element to this story. Is it ninety percent or is it twenty percent? Because You're they've been me. obese yeah. for sixty years. 60 You're, years they've been obese and they haven't been hospitalized. Now they're obese and get COVID and they're hospitalized. So for 60 okay. years being obese didn't put them in a hospital, but now it comes along COVID, it puts them in a hospital. I'd say COVID is a significant problem for them, not just the obesity. The reason they're in the hospital is because they're obese. Well, they're obese for 60 years prior and they never ended up in the hospital. So 60 years Every obese, year, not in the hospital, suddenly... Now they're in the hospital because they got COVID. I don't think you're thinking about this clearly. Well, you know well, what I mean by well, make, it, make, make it clear. Okay. So let's say someone's, there are plenty of fat people who've never been hospitalized. And now they get COVID and for the first time in their lives, they're hospitalized. So, okay. so, so COVID so, is significant. So okay. But they're going to—they're going to get COVID whether they're vaccinated or not. Okay, we have to acknowledge that. Otherwise, well, what if what if the, the vaccine reduces their odds ten percent, twenty percent? You think that's absolutely impossible that the vaccine might possibly reduce their odds of getting a deadly form of COVID by ten percent? I think it reduces are, more than that. Okay, but, but Luke. Okay, so Luke, how many people were in the study? that determined that these vaccines were safe? I would have to Google, but it's... Uh, it, it was... I'll tell you, okay. 1,200, 1,200. Okay? I, I, I guarantee you that's not true. That may be for one particular study. I guarantee okay. you well, there in are that, more. In that, in that particular study, this is what I read, that particular study, one girl famously is in a wheelchair after she was perfectly healthy prior to the study and after the study she's now in a wheelchair for the rest of her life okay so yes that's one out of 1200 it's not a huge percentage luke but if you extrapolate that out to 300 million that's rather wait 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 you just assume that the reason she's in the wheelchair is because she took the vaccine you you have no evidence for it there's no evidence that anyone's been put in a a wheelchair because they take the vaccine but you just jumped to okay, that. Okay, maybe it's that a coincidence, because... Luke. She's perfectly healthy prior to the study, and just so happens she's stricken with this mysterious disease, you know, within, you know, days after participating in the trial. You could be right, Luke, but you could also not be right. So the point is, is the idea that these have been tested sufficiently and that there aren't counterindications is, is, is false. You're not thinking about it clearly. And and you this is based think, on what? Give me, give me who who are the people? I just gave who, you, I, who, give me the people I, who I'm, make I'm, your I'm, case because they're all cranks. I mean, the people uh, who take your position. You, you may be after, right, but the people who take your position you are pathetic. After this conversation, I'm in bed now. But after this conversation, I'm going to look up. I'll send you the details, and then I want you to give them the fair consideration. Point is, is that there, there's enough doubt 
where it's legitimate. I'm not saying it's necessarily correct, where it's legitimate to question the efficacy and safety of these things, period. So you and may disagree. Says, says all right? virtually nobody who's got any standing in, in this in this discussion, virtually okay, nobody right. who's a virologist. So, so 99% covered... of virologists would disagree with you. Fine. But you may be right. Just because 99% of virologists okay. uh, believe one thing, you may still be right. But the people who spend their lives, adult lives, studying this topic, 99% of them come to a different perspective than you do on this. Except, okay, Luke, I didn't call. All right, we're going to... See, this is your anxiety expressing itself in very weird, incoherent ways. So let's talk about your anxiety rather than this particular manifestation in the in the world. Because I think we're in a we're in sort of this anxiety feedback loop because there's a disease involved. You feel that you're okay to express your anxiety and not have good, clean, solid epistemics. So <laughs> we need we need we need another vector of attack because we're, we're sort of in a loop. Okay, let's talk about the Super Bowl. So the Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl and hardly anyone in LA cares. And I think that's a really healthy sign for a city that uh, they have a lot more going on in their life than football. I think that the more uh, people become sports fans, the more that people try to dissolve their identity into that of a sports team, that uh, in all likelihood, the more unhappy they are. So, you know, certain, you know, mild, moderate level of sports fandom can be, you know, perfectly healthy, but the more desperate people are to dissolve their identity <coughs> into that of their favorite sports team, uh, the more sad, pathetic, broken they are. And so I think it's a healthy sign when a, a team like Los Angeles Rams wins the Super Bowl and the city is largely indifferent. Uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, I think you're being a little too hard on sports fans because a lot of sports fans are in smaller towns like lesser metros and <laughs> having a successful sports team is a way of um, you know I don't say puffing yourself up but feeling like you're important and that you're part of the great the country and that you have something to be proud of so LA is a giant metro and yeah I can understand there's a lot of attractions to LA uh, so I can understand them being blasé, but they're also a bunch of like Capri pants wearing soy boys. So, <laughs> okay. So you There's just made my point. You said that having a sports team for many people is a way for these people to feel important. And I, I think that that, that indicates someone whose, whose life is broken. If you're depending, if, if your sense of importance comes from your identification with a sports team, there's something really, really wrong with your life. That's that's horrific. If, if your life is reduced to sports providing you with 50% or 90% of your feeling of importance, that's terrible news for you. Yes, it's very bad if, you're, if, if it's a huge part of your identity. But I don't want to deny people the joy of, you know... Yeah, if it's 10%, if it's 10% yeah. of your feeling of importance, then that's yeah. fine. But if it's 40%, if it's 50% or, or more, if it's the primary, for a lot of people, sports is the primary thing in their life. They're sporting allegiances. And yeah, no, those and are silly. indications of broken lives. Yeah. No, I, mean, I agree. That's, I that's agree. horrible. Like, th there's got to be a better way for people to live than to get their primary sense of meaning and purpose in life and importance in life and joy in life from the fortunes of their sports team. I mean, people who do that 
is because they want to dissolve their own identity and lose themselves in, in the sporting team's identity. And, and that's sad. It is. It's silly. Um, but I'm not going to go and criticize them either. I mean, I, I, one thing about organized sports, <coughs> which bothers me, is that uh, people you know, have substituted watching sports for actually participating in either sports or exercise themselves. Now, you know, I, I, I do hate this sort of, uh, you know, passive consumer culture aspect to watching sports and or watch spending the entire weekend, you know, watching college football and then the watching pro the next day. That's does seem like a life wasted to me. Yep. So what have you been doing in your spare time? Um, well, I haven't gotten back in the water. I've been doing a lot of my kind of got my martial arts thing going again after the swimming season stopped. So I've been doing that at the park. Um, and I'm really getting good benefits. I'm, I'm enjoying this. So I'm, I'm sleeping better. Uh, I've really gotten through to some of my, uh, like I have this, I had this big knot of tension in my shoulder, my upper back. And I've had this for years. It's just been, been this fixture. And I finally started like unwinding parts of it. And I'm feeling all this freedom of movement in my, in my neck and shoulders. And I can't tell you like what a like mini Renaissance this has become. Like, do you have any way of, do you suffer that way? Do you have like certain tense parts of your body? Not you much the last 10 years, but how did you manage to unlock uh, so there's these swinging exercises. It's sort of, I, I do like, you're supposed to really only do them for like 10 or 15 minutes, but I've been doing like insane amounts, like an hour, hour and a half of these swinging side to side with, with your, uh, swinging your arms side to side uh, very loosely uh, and letting, sort of letting your arms flap around very loosely and kind of tap your back. The, mo- the momentum of the swinging brings your arms around back and you and you sort of lightly tap your back with each rotation so uh i don't know if i explained that well but it's it's just a loosening up exercise but as you do it for like incredible pieces of time stretches of time you'd really get more and more more relaxed you know and it was only through doing that that i was finally able to get to some of that deep tension in my in my shoulders so yeah uh, i'll send you a link on it if you want uh, but yeah. I highly recommend it. But uh, so you don't have any uh, neck tension. You don't have any bodily tension. Rarely, um, rarely. But Ever what since about I've all your taken abs- up the Alexander technique and positional release. But I mean, I spend you know an hour plus a day taking care of these tensions. So I do procedures and exercises to to deal with this. Okay, so so what are your exercises, Luke? Oh, positional release, strain, counter strain. So there are about ten basic uh, positional releases that I do pretty much every morning and and then i try to practice the alexander technique throughout the day which basically means uh monitoring how i respond to a stimulus and trying to let go of those responses that don't serve me so okay so you do have a really solid physical practice and you still get consumed with this anxiety i mean an hour a day is a considerable investment of time Luke. yes <coughs> and um yet you still get 
overcome by technical grappling and things. Uh, at time, you know, I, at time, I get yeah. flooded, but it, it doesn't uh, doesn't prevent me from doing the things that I need to do. I mean, I may well, go months without it, but uh, well, I'll, I may I'll go six months without it and then get an anxiety attack. Yeah, I'll tell you, like taxes do that to me. They give me some complete anxiety meltdown, yeah. and like right now, just the fact that April fifteenth is rolling around, I'm already starting to feel tense. It's like this. Uh, you know, this reckoning that I just don't want to deal with. It really is a lot. It's just physically, emotionally draining experience. Do you have an accountant? You know, I used to have an accountant. Um, and then I just felt like, I don't know, it was like 500 bucks. I had to pay a guy 500 yeah. bucks. To yeah, do I spent taxes. 500 bucks a year and uh, it's well worth it. I know. And I did that for the same reason. Then I just felt a little embarrassed because it felt like something I could figure out for myself. So in the past, I don't know, three years, I've been doing it myself. And um, maybe maybe the anxiety level, just <laughs> it's not worth it. It's the 500 bucks is, is, is just worth the anxiety reduction. Yeah, I think it's generally worth hiring experts, uh, whether it's an accountant or a lawyer or a dentist or I, I spent two hundred fifty dollars per voice lesson a few years ago. So, wow. Um, I spent yeah, two thousand dollars on voice lessons. <laughs> no, twenty. Yeah, for, yeah, two thousand for streaming. For streaming or oh, for everything. Um, recently? No, this is like, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, when you were sort of really ramping up your streaming yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. And were they were they helpful? Do you think oh, you yes. Something? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I hear my voice on a stream, like if I listen to a stream that I called in on, I do hear a lot of tension in my voice that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not aware of having until I hear it played back. It is sort of a good barometer of your health or your internal state. Yes. Um, I can know, immediately people... get a read on someone just listening to their voice. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Chinese medicine, you know, they can theoretically, like a good Chinese doctor can theoretically uh, diagnose whatever's wrong with you just by listening to your voice. Yeah, I, I feel like I can get an excellent read on someone just listening to <coughs> their voice. And it wasn't that I sounded like Jordan Peterson before the voice lessons. I sounded like Kermit the Frog. My voice was stuck in a monotone. That'd be funny. I'd like to go. I'd like to listen to some of your older streams and see if I can notice a change. I mean, uh, do you still apply the principles of your voice lessons? Yes. So it, it's basically hmm, right up there. Now I don't sing, so I had like fifteen minutes of a lesson was on singing, but I don't do very much singing. But it's it's that that where you project from is you project from a place in your mouth where you squeeze and in the back of your throat. So. I, I needed to move it up. So I was talking from the back of my throat and now I'm projecting from the top the top of the back of my throat. So it's the pitch mm, nye, 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 right up there. Nye, 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 nye. That's where I'm talking Ooh. from. Nye, 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 nye. I used to talk from here like this. Then I went nye, 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 nye. That, that buzz nye, 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 up there. I learned <laughs> to speak from nye, 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 up there. So no, that was no, the difference. Please. These voice lessons, were these for singing? I mean, were there... No, there were 15 minutes of the 10 lessons were for singing. 
Like I just a little bit. I said, "Oh, why don't you teach me a little bit about singing?" No, it was for no, just daily, right, but, daily speech. But, but but the voice coach, is that what they're called, or instructor? Yeah, yeah voice coach. They're, I'm sure most of their clients are singers, right? Not live streamers. I'm not sure if most of us singers. I mean, <clears throat> it could be people, business executives. It could be actors. It could be a whole range of people, or just people who hate how their voice sounds. Yeah. I see. I would never pay anybody to do that, but I would like to improve my voice for sure. I think that's a, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, um, you know, with a, we can loop back to with our topic, but um, you know, like Ethan Ralph and all the blood sports shenanigans stuff. Right. You did notice like just the amount of profanity that goes on in those streams, yeah. like every other word. Yeah. And, you know, when I was growing up, um, it was considered a just very low class to swear that much or even at all. Right. You know, it, it was nothing you were you were always a little. Uh, especially as as children, you know, you 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 you'd be reprimanded for it. But even into like, you know, your high school years and early adulthood, you know, it was um it was considered a mark of a very poor vocabulary, like to always be swearing. Right. And I do notice that the, just the, if, you know, if, if there were to be an effective political movement, you know, it's, it's members need to speak at a much higher level. They need to expand their vocabulary. They need to improve their diction. They need to, um, become much better speakers and just not rely on profanity so much. It's just so hard to listen to after a while. I don't yeah. know if they're even aware of that. And like, I, I just think that that's like a link in the uh, cultural chain that's been broken. And I don't know. Now I, I don't swear very often, but I do use the word sucks like in, in, uh, in formal occasions where it's completely inappropriate. And I've, I've been reprimanded for using the word sucks countless occasions by you know, people in polite society. Yeah. You know, my attitude towards swearing is that it should be, it should be so rare that it's like a spice and it's actually very enjoyable when you hear it. Yes. Right. It's just, you know, but it should be extremely rare and it should be almost considered, you know, it should feel like a fail, a failing. <laughs> Like there yeah. was this trend, there was this trend in uh, blogging. I don't know if you remember this, uh, but people who wrote these blog posts were, were supposed to sort of really pour on, pour on the eloquence. But then the last line of the blog post needed to be something really crude and vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that, that. If well, it has its place. Folk. Like I'm, you know, occasionally swearing is the, the right thing to do, but when it becomes a habit, then it's definitely a bad sign. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I saw the. I didn't. I only. I didn't see the t first um, episode. I came into stream. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I, I came in about forty-five minutes into your stream. So I, you're talking about this Theroux. Yeah, uh, Louis Theroux. Uh, he's he's doing like a, a three-part series on Nick Fuentes and Baked Alaska and Beards and Beardley and uh, Brittany Venti. So I watched it, the, uh, the first episode. Is it on YouTube somewhere? I can no, it's it's on the BBC, and you have to use a VPN. 
and you have to uh, say yes you've paid the the bbc license to be able to watch it oh uh, really okay yep. i'm sure it'll someone will put not that i in doubt endorse that sort of thing <laughs> so you've seen part of the scene i, I saw of? episode one yeah Baruch and Hashem. you recommend it uh you recommend? no i don't i don't recommend it but it's out there it's it's okay so how do you feel like having interviewed at least two of the <laughs> protagonists? It's all right. I mean, have... I like that Nick is a happy guy. And so Nick yeah. Nick comes across reasonably well. Um, mm. Baked can just become incredibly hateful. Uh, here's, here's one comment that, that I saw. Um, you know, Baked is notorious for getting louder and more offensive when met with any resistance or questioning or, or criticism. He's a permanent mm. hype man, and the minute you aren't matching his energy, he turns into a sensitive egomaniac. He makes me wonder if he has a free thought and open mind. He hides inside his own mind, a chameleon. He'll get in where he fits in and fit whatever mold he's near. He has no clear understanding of who he is or what he'll do with himself. He feels valuable doing in real life streaming. This is a wave that will only last so long. A person who's busy rowing their own boat, they don't have time to rock others' boats. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, interesting. Bake does no, not come did- across well. Did you interview Baked? I know that yes, he did. Yeah, he's been on my show a couple of times at least. All right. So that's three of the people. So you interviewed Nick, Beardson, and Baked, huh? And yeah, I have not had Brittany Venti on my show. That's the no. other one. Yeah. Well, that would certainly be a treat. <laughs> Can we make that happen? <clears throat> well, I'll track that down because I do want to see it. Um, but... Yeah, what a ride. But uh, do you feel like things are turning? Like there's a definitely, you know, uh, we're sort of in a new chapter. It really does feel like. Well, I, I think there's a definitely a tremendous movement. audience for, for a right-wing response, uh, particularly if it's, if, if it's carried out by people more competent than Donald Trump. Yeah, so, but you've heard about this Clinton, you know, uh, there's been a another indictment in the Clinton saga. It's become very clear that you know they were behind all this Russia Gate nonsense. Yeah, I think I sense. think it's uh, I barely glanced at it, but I I saw a New York Times or Washington Post article arguing that the right wing response to this development is hysterical. So I don't know if that's true or not. So, yeah. So so, so the the prestige of the New York Times is undiminished in your mind. It seems like, or to me, it's everything is con- well you don't even read it it's contextual the new york times is excellent in some ways and it sucks in other ways just like i'm excellent in some things and i totally suck at other things and i'm yeah. you know a great guy in some circumstances and i'm a sniveling coward in other circumstances so every so, everything so has it? its place a time okay. and a purpose under heaven turn, oh, luke turn, you're as cold turn. as ice you're willing to sacrifice our love but um <laughs> Luke, the New York Times beat the drum of this Russiagate story for yeah, three to four solid years. Yeah, I, I thought it was nonsense. I, it always gave me a and headache you thought when it I was read nonsense. it. Yeah. Okay, you thought it was nonsense, and now there's indictments to prove that it was nonsense. And the New York Times, just because the New York Times isn't happy that the right wing is gloating about it, you somehow think that's a valid perspective. And no, no, I don't contra- think that there's no- because the right wing is gloating that they're automatically right. I, I don't take whether it's either the New York Times or the right wing. I don't think either side is automatically right. Sometimes the and New you, York Times is right, and sometimes the right wing is right. Well, shouldn't this be an opportunity for contrition on, top, on the part of the New York Times? 
I mean, they uh, got they got a major I mean, story. We all have we all need contrition. I think the New York Times does it too. But I, I don't. Most people don't like to examine their own morality. They'd rather blame outsiders. I think that's true for the New York Times. It is for anyone else. There's times that I think you're just trolling, Luke. <laughs> I think this is one of them. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think I've, I've been trolling. I mean, I think I've spoken to you genuinely 109 times on this stream. <laughs> and yet you keep wanting to throw me out. And I've done nothing wrong. I don't know. I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall here. Um, Luke, think yeah. about there were two impeachment hearings. Trump was impeached on the basis of this nonsense, right? Twice. Yeah. Or once was Ukraine, once was Russia, right? It's been shown to be a fraud, okay? It's been shown to be a fraud in bold relief. And you still somehow find yourself taking the perspective of the New York Times. I'm just... I didn't... I was very clear I didn't take the perspective of the New York Times. I didn't dismiss the perspective of the New York Times. I always thought that, that both impeachments were nonsense i thought russia gate was nonsense and i don't give it very much importance on either side uh, denying it or the people who made the case for it. i've never found it found it important okay but it's low know, importance you heard, you heard it's like said. the united nations it doesn't matter sorry go ahead so tr well trump said <clears throat> what these people did can be considered an act of treason and that in, in former times such people would be executed for this behavior. Do people, you agree with Trump? I, I not, not necessarily. I just think people do what they can to to push forward their own side. And so the Democrats were effective using Russiagate and other things to hamstring the Trump administration. And the Trump administration wasn't very competent and allowed the Democrats to hamstring them. Mm. Oh, I don't, I don't like the perspective of good guys and bad guys. I don't like that. <laughs> That's not true, Luke. You just, you're being, you're being tactically. Uh, Where do you think I like the perspective of good guys and bad guys? You're being tactically neutral right now when it's, when there's, this is a time of, um, where you need bold decisiveness. That bold decisive actions. Okay, man. Good hey, to talk I, to I, you. I, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting sick. So I, I got to hang up. All right. We'll talk later. All right. Yes, thanks. Mate. Bye, All right, bye. 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 Okay. So what the hell is going on in Canada? The government is issuing an order with immediate effect under the Emergencies Act authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that... Okay, so if you've got a, a movement that is hamstringing the country and is, is a major inconvenience to tens of thousands of people, this, this is how government responds. This is what you would expect a government to do in response. An account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. Canadian truckers are protesting. Yeah, I don't have a big problem with what the, the government is doing. Uh, freezing the, the bank accounts of people who are supporting this illegal protest. As many of you know, uh, vaccine mandate. So I've been reading the Oxford Companion of Carl Schmidt, and it calls uh, Carl Schmidt the, the, the professor of order. The, the, the word order summarizes Carl Schmidt's thought and, and what he, he 
longed for. And so I too, I like order. I don't like illegal protests that disrupt the lives of tens of thousands of people. I am primarily about order. Law and order, what these truckers doing is violating law and order. It's just breaking today on... So Jason Kalkanis, I, I met him at a party. Uh, he was uh, one of the first people to make, make money from blogging. So very smart Silicon Valley dude. Mario's uh, premier has declared a state of emergency for the entire province. Ottawa police have braced for thousands of protesters to descend for the third consecutive weekend. USA Today also reported the convoy could disrupt the Super Bowl, Biden State of the Union. So when I met uh, Jason Kalkanis at, at a party and I heard he had something to do with blogging, I said, well, what do you do? You know, who are you? And he said, just Google me. And et cetera. The protest has been self-titled the Freedom Convoy and has been underway since January 29th. It appears it has spanned several thousand vehicles across the country, and the truckers are blocking key roadways and bridges, including the Ambassador Bridge. Uh, they're seeking an end to Canada. Yeah, I don't like protesters who are blocking roads and bridges, whether the protesters are on the right or on the left. I want these people put in jail. Bust up protests that block bridges and block roads and disrupt lives for ordinary people. Enforce the law, law and order. I, I have the same attitude towards the Black Lives Matter rioters, the Antifa rioters, and the right-wing rioters at the Capitol January 6th. All right, break the law, disrupt civilization. You should pay the price. As uh, vaccine mandates, it feels like this is now morphing into something a little bit wider than just vaccine mandates. Uh, maybe it's becoming a Occupy Wall Street type of uh, protest open to many people with many different uh, things that they have uh, grievances about. A reporter from uh, Barry Weiss's Common Sense newsletter slash media operation uh, wrote what the truckers want. Jason, you're, you, you just nailed it. Um, I do think that this is actually Occupy Wall Street. 2.0, yeah. Look, it, it, it turned... So it's a populist uprising. Sometimes the populists are right, and sometimes the elites are right. I, I don't believe that the elites are always wrong and the, the populists are always right, or vice versa. So I don't really know much about this Canada trucker protest. Out just to get, root some facts. So it's not just truckers. This is a broad-based coalition of people across every single race and gender and age group in Canada that's participating in this thing. In fact, the Bari Weiss article, you know, she profiled men, women of all ages, Sikhs, you know, whites, I mean, everybody, blacks. There's a coalition of people. Second is this really isn't about vaccination rates because it turns out truckers are 90% vaccinated. They're vaccinated at a higher percentage than the actual broad-based population of Canada, which is about 78%. The point of this, and again, I care about this so much as a Canadian, but I, I just want to read a quote from Justin Trudeau because I think it encapsulates what this is really about. We on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de convaincre. Continue to try to convince them, but there are also people who are fiercely against vaccination. They're extremists. They don't believe in science. They're often misogynists and racist. It's a small group that muscles in. And we have to make a choice in terms of leaders, in terms of the country. Do we tolerate these people? What do we say? Hey, most of the Quebecois people, 80% are vaccinated. Well, do we tolerate? Yeah, I think we should tolerate people who believe differently about vaccines. 
But uh, does that mean that we automatically allow them to disrupt life by blocking roads and bridges? No. So I think we should tolerate people's beliefs, but we don't tolerate their illegal be behavior. Quoi? On fait ce qu'il fallait faire. Ils se sont fait vacciner. On veut revenir à, 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 aux choses qu'on aime faire. Et c'est pas ces gens-là qui vont nous bloquer maintenant. And I think it's that phrase, unacceptable views, that really points to what the real issue here is. Right. We shouldn't be legislating what views people get to have. And we shouldn't be punishing people simply for their views. We should punish people who behave illegally and disrupt society. Which is that there are a lot of people who now say it's been two years, enough with mask mandates, enough with all of this. Okay, so ordinary people who say enough with mask mandates, I don't find that terribly convincing. There needs to be evidence that uh, mask mandates don't do any good or don't do as much good as they do harm. So to me, this is just a matter of scientific evidence, not a matter of how people feel about things you know, almost police state that's developed, all of the emergency use power that politicians have taken, let's reclaim our democracy and let's have, you know, freedom. So all governments have emergency powers, right? In emergencies, governments can do anything. If it was not that way, societies would not survive. So you can't get rid of government emergency powers. You need to provide solid evidence that, say, government emergency powers have been misused then you can make a strong intellectual case for what you're doing. But just because you feel that the lockdowns are you know, making your life too uncomfortable, I don't find that persuasive. Your feelings aren't persuasive. Show me the evidence. Again, and under the political viewpoint of the ruling liberal party, which, by the way, is now going into revolt as well, a bunch of liberal MPs have just completely flipped because of this statement. It summarizes what Trudeau is saying, which is, what you believe is unacceptable to me, and so now I will quash you. I or that yeah, but Trudeau and the people who are saying that are responding not just to the, the ideas, they're responding primarily to the behavior, right? The, the truckers and the disruption and blocking of, of bridges and, and streets, right? So it's not, it's not really that Trudeau's going against people's freedom of thought. He is voicing his outrage in the context of you got a protest that is disrupting life for hundreds of thousands of people. Canada has you. one viewpoint. Things have changed radically since the beginning of the pandemic. You believed in mask mandates early because, hey, no downside. We talked about that. And we didn't want hospitals to be overrun, which is reasonable. Right? You wanted to have oxygen. We were all, you know, trying to make plans for, hey, how bad is this going to be? But we're sitting here two years later, and it's pretty clear Omicron, which I had. Uh, thank you, Sachs. Um, is is a nothing yeah, burger, right. as we say. That's nonsense. Omicron is a nothing burger, all right? Hundreds of thousands of people have died from Omicron. How do you call that a nothing burger? That's absurd, right? Over 100,000 Americans have died from Omicron. About as many Americans are dying each day from Omicron, approximately, or maybe at least half as many as who died on 9-11. You can't call it a nothing burger. Here? So instead of staying in Ottawa, now he's under uh, in a secure location for his safety. Oh, my God. Oh, he feels unsafe. <laughs> So trigger warning. But in fairness, uh, when you bring 8,000 people together and you get a wide enough group of people, there was SWAT stickers and white Confederate flags that were flown. So it might have been two of 8,000, but that did happen. Within which gave any them the protest cover, movement. Which I just said, yes. Trudeau seized on a handful of isolated examples to try and demonize these guys. And I think it's blowing up in his face.
The fact of the matter is, the truckers did not start this fight. It's the zealotry of our elites, of our profession. And this may be right. All right. Vaccine mandates may be a bad idea. I, I don't have a strong opinion either way, but I don't think the, the point of view that's being given here is ridiculous. ...class that started this fight. They will not give up on these mandates. That's the fundamental problem. Well, and while they go to the Super Bowl with no mask on. I think what you're seeing here with this truck... So there are a lot of things where if you try to persuade people to, to your cause, you're doing good and holy work. But then when you mandate things and use the power of the government to enforce and to punish people who, who don't follow, then, then it becomes bad. So I, I don't have a strong opinion on vaccine mandates, but I do know in general... Many things are much better argued for than mandated. Thing. I think it's going to have huge ripple effects because it's showing the schism. Here you have the working class. Remember, these were the essential workers. These are the people bringing us our food. Most of them have already had COVID over the last couple of years. They couldn't sit behind a computer and do their job in their pajamas on Zoom all day. Okay. So these guys know the reality of COVID, just like you learned the reality, Jason, when you actually got it. And yet we Oh, oh, so Jason knows the reality of COVID because for him it was a nothing burger? I mean, what solipsism? Now, what self-centered ignorance, right? Your experience of Omicron doesn't have great transferable wisdom in it, right? So you got Omicron and it was nothing for you. On the other hand, over 100,000 dead Americans from Omicron. And, and that's nothing? Their experiences are nothing because for you it was nothing? That's absurd, right? There's not a lot of transferable wisdom just from your individual case of Omicron. You've got this neurotic class of professionals within the Democratic Party who don't want, who are these COVID dead enders don't want to give this stuff up. And that or maybe they're just trying to do the best they can with a difficult situation. We don't know how COVID is going to evolve, right? We could get a more deadly strain than any strain we've seen yet. We could get it more transmissible, a more deadly strain coming down the pike. So this idea that the people who have one perspective on COVID, that they're all just neurotic and people who have another perspective on COVID, that they're just, you know, all evil, right? It's just not true. There are some good arguments on, on different sides here. That's the fundamental divide. And I think Biden's going to have to choose which side are you on. Okay. And, uh, oh, we, we, we had briefly a visitor are you on the side of the working class or the professional class trudeau has chosen his side he is the effete elite face oh maybe the effete elites are right what, what matters is not whether they're effete or whether they're elite or what their motives are what matters is are they right or are they wrong and that's a matter of evidence and show me the evidence show me the studies of these covid dead enders and um and Biden's gonna this is nonsense Let's get back to something more helpful. One of the things we really underestimate is that what makes people feel really strong and resilient is that they believe they're capable of moving from a state of being unsure, not feeling capable, not knowing exactly what they're doing, to being capable and confident. And so when you're confident in that process, hey, I know I'm going to feel like a lot of second guessing. I know I'm going to feel like I don't exactly know what I'm doing. I know this is going to feel really uncomfortable, but I believe in my ability to get confident. So one of the things I often talk about is that you start with the courage to step into the thing that's making you feel insecure. I love this woman, Erin Foley. 
when you are consistently in the thing and you're practicing the thing and you're becoming familiar with the thing, you then gain capability. And from that capability, you start to feel really confident. So you start with the courage and the willingness to step into the thing. You don't have to start with confidence. You don't have to come out the gate feeling like you're confident. It's like, imagine if tomorrow you and all your friends played a brand new game where you had to throw a ball up in the air and spin around three times and catch it on your nose. You don't just start that game with a feeling that you have to be confident at the get-go and that if you're not, something's wrong with you. What you want to do is be confident in your ability to become confident through the courage, the consistency, the practice, becoming familiar, feeling capable, and then becoming confident. So shift your focus. And then I want you to connect to why it's worth why is it worth it for you to show up to this thing that's shaking your confidence, even though you feel unsure? Why is it worth it? Why is it worth it to push through with this new job? Or why is it worth it to work through the criticism that you got from your boss? Why is it worth it to figure out how to work with this coworker? Yeah, good stuff there from Erin Foley. So if you're curious about COVID vaccines, just uh, type into Google, do COVID vaccines work? And uh, CDC has got a page here, myths and facts about COVID-19 vaccines. Myth, the ingredients in COVID-19 vaccines are dangerous. Fact, nearly all the ingredients in COVID-19 vaccines are ingredients in many foods such as fats, sugars, and salts. Myth, the natural immunity I get from being sick with COVID is better than the immunity I get from COVID vaccination. Fact, getting a COVID vaccination is a safer more dependable way to build immunity to COVID than getting sick with COVID. Myth, COVID-19 vaccines cause variants. Fact, COVID-19 vaccines do not create or cause variants of the virus, viruses that cause COVID-19. Instead, COVID-19 vaccines can help prevent new variants from emerging. Myth, all events reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, are caused by vaccination. Fact, anyone can report events to VAERS even if it is not clear whether a vaccine caused the problem. Because of this, VAERS data alone cannot determine the reported adverse event was caused by a COVID-19 vaccination. Myth. The mRNA vaccine is not considered a vaccine. Fact, mRNA vaccines such as Pfizer, Biotech, and Moderna work differently than other types of vaccines, but they still trigger an immune response inside your body. Myth. The COVID-19 vaccines contain microchips, fact, they do not contain microchips. Vaccines are developed to fight against disease and are not administered to track your movement. Receiving COVID-19 vaccine can make you magnetic. Myth, fact, receiving COVID-19 vaccine will not make you magnetic. Myth, COVID-19 vaccines authorized for use in the United States shed or release their components. Fact, vaccine shedding is the release or discharge of any of the vaccine components in or outside of the body. It can only occur when a vaccine contains a live weakened version of the virus. None of the vaccines authorized for use in the U.S. contain a live virus. Myth, COVID-19 vaccines can alter by DNA. Fact, COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. Myth, the COVID-19 vaccine can make me sick with COVID. Fact, because none of the authorized COVID-19 vaccines in the United States contain the live virus that causes COVID-19. The vaccine cannot make you sick with COVID. All right, that will do it, I think, for tonight. Uh, just maybe play a little more of this lady. Whatever it is that's shaking your confidence, 
connect to why it's worth it to show up and become confident in that situation. And don't underestimate how much we gain from not feeling confident in something and becoming confident in something. How much we gain in feeling uncomfortable in a new circumstance and learning how to adjust to that. The idea that successful people are always confident is such a myth, right? The idea that people showed up confident is such a myth. So many people who are in positions of success or confidence that you view, even if they truly are confident, chances are when they started that or at a certain point in that, they've had absolute confidence crises. Okay, Aaron Foley, great stuff. That's it. Bye-bye.